This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Amen. We have this system of merit and the system of consequence just ingrained in our minds from birth and into all areas of our life, family, relationships, work, school. We have this system of merit. You do well, you deserve the benefits of your work. You do poorly, you make a mistake, and you deserve the consequences of your failures. From a child, do your chores and you'll get $5. And so the kid is motivated to do well. Finish your homework and you get an hour of TV time. Study hard, get that 4.0 in college, get that six-figure salary job afterwards. If not, then you might have to settle for less. And then even in our relationships, we know that we have to work and earn the other person's trust, their love, and affection. In all areas of life, this merit, the system of merit and consequence applies. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It is good to work hard and have accomplishment and be diligent. And there are consequences, real consequences to our actions that we have to learn. The system is not a bad thing. But the problem is, is when we apply this system of merit and consequence to the gospel, then we are completely missing the point. And that is what's happening with Peter. And so Paul comes out in open rebuke to Peter. It's ingrained in our minds, and it does no good in helping us understand the gospel. So today, we're going to look at these words of Paul, and we're going to look at the struggle of the believer— we're going to look at the death of the believer, and we're going to look at the life of the believer to help hopefully show us and give us a clear picture and understanding of what the gospel is and how to live it so that we can live in the freedom that Christ purchased for us on that cross. To give us a little bit of update on the background of what has been going on so far, we have the church in Antioch. We have the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians together in one congregation worshiping God. And the group called the Judaizers have come in and what they did was try to apply the law back into salvation. They tried to apply the law into the gospel. It was believe in Jesus Christ, 
Plus, also, you need to be circumcised, Gentile. You need to believe in Jesus Christ, plus you need to follow the dietary laws. And what this was doing, it was causing divisions in the church. People were drifting away from the faith because of this misunderstanding of the gospel. And so we pick up here today in Paul's rebuke towards Peter, because Peter, under the influence of these Judaizers, he was withdrawing himself from the Gentile Christians. And we'll pick it back up today in verse 16 as we look at the struggle of the believer. The struggle of the believer is that we try to add law to the gospel. We try to add law to the gospel when we shouldn't. And that's the struggle of every believer. Well, let me ask you guys a question today. What is the gospel? If someone asked you what it is, would you be able to answer it? How well would you be answered? Would you be confident in it? Would you be clear in what the definition of the gospel is? And the simplest way we went over a couple weeks ago is God saves sinners. That's the gospel. But if you gave that answer to someone who knew nothing about Christianity, I'm positive they would want more. So are we prepared to tell them more? And in today, we're going to see in verse 16 that it gives us the next step in defining what the gospel is. It gives us a little bit clearer definition of how it's done. And it's going to show us the doctrine of justification. One of the core building blocks, the starting points of understanding the gospel. And justification is a legal term meaning this. Justification is to be declared righteous by God. It's to be declared righteous by God. Let's read verses 16. Look down with me in your Bibles. Yes, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. From this verse, we can define the gospel as this. Sinners are accepted by God and made right with him, not by their works, but through faith in Jesus Christ alone. The gospel is not what we do that makes us right with God. It's what Jesus has done that gives us right standing, acceptance, and justification. This is the point to digging into and understanding the depths and riches of the gospel. And it's so critical that we understand this, that this today's sermon might seem and sound a little redundant, but the purpose is, is for us to really know in our minds and in our hearts that justification, that we are saved and accepted by God based on none of our merits, and that we cannot lose that based on our failures. So we hear this message of the gospel, and I hope all of us are hearing it. Yes, we're justified because of Christ. And we say yes and amen, and that's the gospel. But the struggle, like I mentioned, is for us who believe, we revert to adding law to the gospel. And that's what we saw Peter do, the great founding father of the church. The great apostle Peter himself was adding law to the gospel. Let's read Paul's response to what Peter did when he did this. Let's read verses 17 and 18. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. 
For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. These verses can immediately be very confusing to understand. The um, commentaries themselves actually admit that these can be a little difficult to understand. So I've kind of reworded them for us to kind of understand what Paul is trying to say. Paul's saying, if the Judaizers are right, where you need the gospel plus the law, then Christ is a servant of sin. Then Christ is a minister of sin. He has caused you to sin, if the Judaizers are right. Why? Because Jesus taught that salvation was through faith in him alone. And by trusting in Christ, we are then free from the law. And so you and me, Peter, we ate freely with the Gentiles, which was once against our Jewish traditions, because we listened to Christ and his message. So then, did Christ cause us to sin? Is he a minister of sin? Absolutely not. Either the Judaizers are wrong or Christ is wrong. And that must have been shocking to Peter to hear this. And in verse 14, he continues on, and, and he's saying, if Paul, I've been preaching that we are saved not by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. But if I rebuild, if I keep going back to the law, if I depend on it and live on it for my justification, I will only prove myself to be a transgressor, a sinner. So this is the struggle of the believer. We keep going back to the law as a means of being accepted and loved by God. And in our desire to be pious, in our desire to follow God, in our response to love, to love him, if we're not careful, we will build up the law and add to the gospel. And so the challenge to the believer is to not add law to the gospel. I had a friend... Uh, Back in high school, we went to church together, and uh, we just had a great time in youth group. We were baptized together, and I'm pretty sure he was saved, and he loved the Lord. But in college, uh, he went off, and he took a different direction, and he started getting really involved with the whole partying and drinking scene, and he really, really liked clubbing. And, and so with that lifestyle, it was just, just binge drinking, um, womanizing, and that womanizing eventually led to a lot of other different sexual immorality. And that just became so ingrained and part of him. Until one day, um, he just, you know, through a series of incidences, he hit rock bottom. But he f came to find Christ again. He saw the gospel again in, the, in, a, in a new light. He saw how much that Jesus loved him and forgave him. He saw how much he was accepted in God. And it just transformed his heart. That heart of stone was turned into a heart of flesh as he met the true living God through Jesus Christ. And so now, out of his love and his passion for God, he was dedicated to living a godly life for him. But the struggle for him was, he knew the gospel, but he didn't quite completely get it. So in his desire to be pious, in his desire to live for God, he started adding law to the gospel. He started adding, for me to be a Christian, I can't be going to the clubs. I can't be binge drinking. I can't be womanizing. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do that. It became a whole list, a list of things that he put on himself to be a Christian. And as he did that, inevitably, he would slip up. He would not be able to fulfill some of these things 
because it took time for him to leave those sinful pleasures of the past. And what would happen is when he did slip up, so much guilt and burden weighed down on his like, if God loved me, if Jesus loved me, how could I possibly go back to my old sinful self? How could I go back to these old ways? And it made it really difficult for him to walk the Christian faith. He was adding law to the gospel, and it was driving him away from the faith. That's what the law does. It brings guilt into our consciousness, and it makes it hard to live for God. We must not add law to the gospel. Now, some of us, we may not be struggling with sins like my friend. We have a totally different set of legalism, different things we place on ourselves to be a Christian. I have to read my Bible every day, and if I don't, oh no. Maybe God might love me a little less. I can't miss church on Sunday because that's not what a good Christian does. We make all these lists of rules of what it means to be a Christian, and when you don't live up to it, you fall into guilt, you beat yourself up, you question, is God disappointed in me? Is God, does he really love me? You know, if I really loved him, I would do these things, and because I failed, maybe he doesn't love me, maybe he doesn't accept me. Don't get me wrong, the sins you fight and the desires you have for godly living, they are good and they should be pursued. But we cannot add them to the gospel. The gospel is what Jesus has done, period. We are fully accepted, fully loved, declared righteous, justified because of what Christ has has done, not because of our works. This is our sixth sermon in the Galatians series. And if you've been tracking with us, this seems to be the message that we're giving every week. The almost gospel is gospel plus the law, and we need to protect ourselves from doing this. And it might seem like we're beating a dead horse. We're beating the dead horse of uh, legalism with the gospel. And you'd be like, oh, there they go again. But hopefully that's not your heart. We want to encourage you to keep beating on that horse of liberal, uh, legalism because it's very much alive. It is never dead as long as we're in the flesh. We've seen it with the Apostle Paul, this great Christian leader. Even he struggled with it. Until we are completely glorified in our new bodies with God in heaven, we are going to be struggling with this every day. The new Christian, the mature Christian. We have to protect ourselves from adding the law to the gospel. And what helps in fighting legalism and adding law to the gospel is to know that we have died to the law. And that brings us to our second point, the death of the believer. Through Christ, we have died to the law. This is very important to understand to be able to fight against that legalistic mindset in your mind. Let's look down and read verses 15 to 16 again. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. We see this term Gentile sinners that Paul is using, and it shows the contrast between the two people, so the Gentiles and the Jews. And that's how the Jews traditionally refer to the Gentiles. Because the Jews, they were given the scriptures by God. They were given the law. 
They were giving the sacrificial system. They were giving um, circumcision. So they had everything that was needed. They knew what they needed to do to be, find, to be found righteous by God. But Paul is saying that, hey, Peter, you and me, we know what it took. And everybody under that system failed. Whether it was the Jew who knew what to do and failed, or the Gentile sinner who they never received the law. They never received the system of how to be righteous in God. So clearly they weren't following it, and clearly they didn't live up to it. So for both those that try their best to be found righteous with God and those who absolutely don't care and don't even strive to, both of these people need to be justified by Jesus Christ, not by the law. Paul's pointing out the inability of the law to save human kind. And so he goes on in verse 19, read with me. For through the law I have died to the law, so that I might live to God. We'll go over the second half of this verse later, but I really want to focus on this first half. For through the law I died to the law. What Paul is saying is, look, the law showed me how much of a sinner I am. The law showed me my inability to follow it and make myself righteous to God. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die to that system of being found righteous by the law so that I can live for God. Let's talk about the law for a moment. The law that is given by God. It is a good thing. It's a holy thing. It's righteous. It is a reflection of God's character. It's a prescription for us to live a godly life. But the problem is the law places two demands on you. The first demand is follow the law perfectly and you will be righteous and accepted by God. The second demand is break any single law, even just for a moment, and you will be condemned by the law and your punishment will be death. These are the two demands that the law places on us, the merit and the consequence. And our problem as humankind is we aren't able to follow the law. So Paul says, I died to this system. When I died to the system, or this is how I died to the system. Let's read verses 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's like, I'm going to give up following the law for my own righteousness, and I'm going to die with Christ on that cross. And this is what it means to die on that cross with Christ. When Christ was hanging there on that cross, he fulfilled the law perfectly, the first demand of the law. From the moment he was born to his last dying breath, he obeyed God's law perfectly. And so when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that perfect righteous life that belonged to Christ becomes yours. In God's eyes, you are righteous. And on the second demand of the law, when he is hung there on that cross, he took every single one of your sins, past, present, and future, and he took the penalty. He paid the price. He fulfilled the second demand of the law. That condemnation, that curse that should have been upon you, he took it so that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are no more. They're paid for. 
This is what it means to be crucified with Christ and then die to the law. So if we die to the law, the law no longer has any power over us. The law can no longer demand anything from us. We no longer live to that system to be found righteous and accepted by God. Paul illustrates a Christian's death to the law like this in Romans 7. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, church, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear, bear fruit for God. When a man and a woman marry, they are bound together. And that promise, that covenant, has to demand on them that they are bound together until their last breath. But if one spouse dies and no longer exists, that, that demand cannot be placed on the remaining spouse. And so it is so with our death to the law. Christ died to demand the law in our stead. And when we put our trust and faith in him, we have died with Christ to the demands of the law. I don't want us to miss this. This is a very important thing to grasp if we're going to understand what the gospel really means. Let's look at its implications for those of us who really trust in Christ. When God sees you, he sees the righteousness of Christ and he has no debt of sin against you. That is your standing with God. That cannot change. So maybe if you go home tonight, you go at it with your spouse, or you get angry at your friend or roommate, and you just say some terrible things of hatred, you're cursing them out in your head, that does not change your status with God. Maybe you are talking with your friend back home in the States, and you hear they get a promotion, and they got this nice job, and they're finally going to be able to buy the Benz, whatever, and you start getting really jealous and angry or envious, and you start grumbling about your life. That doesn't change your status with God. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, your sin, know that it does not change your status with God if you're fully putting your trust in Jesus Christ. You're justified because of what he has done, not because of what you have done. And at this point, there should be alarm bells ringing in your head, right? You might be saying, Pastor, is the Bible saying that if I trust in Jesus, that I can do pretty much whatever I want? I, can, I have a blank check to just sin and just live whatever lifestyle I want, and I'll still be saved? If you preach that message, you're encouraging people to break the law. You're relieving them of the responsibility to God's good and perfect law. And that's dangerous. This is the concern when we preach faith alone in Jesus Christ saves but those who don't understand the gospel, that's what they think. But for those of who have tasted and understand the gospel, we know that that's not the product. Paul isn't teaching that you can just do whatever you want. The Bible isn't teaching that. And we're going to see that when Paul describes the life of the believer. The gospel frees us to live to God. 
That's the life of the believer. We have died to Christ so that now, we have died with Christ so that now we can live to God. Let's read verses 19 to 21. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So we saw in the last point that Paul gave up trying to live according to this law to be justified. And he says that he is crucified with Christ and the law no longer has demands on him. And that is what enables him to live for God. That's what enables him to follow God's good and perfect righteous law. It's living by faith in Jesus Christ. It's knowing that you've shared in his death and his resurrection, that the demand of the law is not on you anymore. It's knowing that you are in union with him, that he is in you and you are in him. It's knowing that you are completely loved. It's knowing that you're completely accepted. This is what motivates us to live for to God's law. Tim Keller says it like this. Only when I see myself as completely loved and holy in Christ will I have the power to repent with joy, conquer my fears, and obey the one who did all of this for me. You see, the gospel is this. Christ died for me so that I would be justified. I add nothing to this. That status is set when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But with the gospel, there comes a result, a changed life. A life that has been given a new heart that wants to love God and serve God. But many times we try to blend the two together. That uh, this life that we now live to God, these things we do for him, somehow get blended into the gospel where it's just what God has done. We need to be able to distinguish but not separate. Because if we separate it completely, then we're just living a law, a, a life that is lawless. We need to know that we are justified and saved by Christ alone. And that life and that gift now is our motivation. It's our drive. It's our strength to live according to God's law. We have been going over this gospel message. And we really pray that it's been encouraging to you and in your walk. Because it really should be of great assurance to the believer. To know that the demands of the law are not on you. That it's what Christ has done for you that makes you saved and completely accepted by him. There's been people um, that have been responding to these messages. And they're saying, yeah, I knew the gospel. But as I kept hearing it and hearing it and hearing it being preached during Galatians, started to make more and more sense. I started to understand it more and more in our heart. And so it gives me more of assurance because that person was struggling. You know, am I really saved? Does God really love me? So I want to uh, encourage you and give you that assurance that when you put your faith in Christ, that is what justifies you. When you put your faith in Christ, God looks down on you. He's pleased with you. He sees Christ's righteousness. He loves you completely. No other religion comes close to this gospel message. 
religions tell you, okay, you want to get right with God? You want to go to heaven? This is what you need to do. You need to do A, B, C, D. And if you do it well enough, yeah, maybe you can get to heaven. So try hard. That's flattering to man. And it nullifies the grace of God. Christianity, God sent his son Jesus down to this earth when we were stuck under the condemnation of the law. He came into this broken world and took on flesh and lived a life that we could not live and paid the price for our sins. That we are unwavering in our status with God. That we are cemented as his sons and daughters because of what he's If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening, and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.